Hi, I'm David Rothkopf, the CEO of the DSR Network and host of the Deep State Radio podcast. Here at DSR, we have always believed that in a world as complex, fast-moving, and full of risks as ours, we all need access to the best minds. That is why we have created the leading network for expert podcasts on the issues of the day you care about. We go in-depth on politics, the law, national security, foreign policy, intelligence, defense, climate, and new technologies with regular and special guests that are the leading voices in their fields. We also offer daily updates on global news, our DSR Daily, and on a key story of the day through our partnership with the New Republic. That is why over a million times a month, people like you choose to spend time with our hosts and guests. Membership is what supports this, and members get special benefits, including bonus content in virtually all of our podcasts. It's a big deal, and it's a good deal. Our monthly membership price is going to go up for the first time in our history on March 1st. So now is the time you can lock in our founder's rate of just $5 a month. To do so, go to the dsrnetwork.com and click on membership. It's that easy, but don't delay. Today's rates will only be available for a few more weeks. Join us, support us. Go to the dsrnetwork.com right now. Thank you. This is the Daily Blast from the New Republic, produced and presented by the DSR Network. I'm your host, Greg Sargent. In recent days, Elon Musk has unleashed a torrent of tweets, or X's if you prefer, in support of various white nationalists pushing the vile notion that migration to the U.S. constitutes an invasion. He has also used X to elevate Tucker Carlson's interview with Russian President Vladimir Putin which platformed Putin's unfiltered views with little challenge. All this reflects a genuine worldview and ideology, one that has been called techno-authoritarianism, or alternatively, the problem of reactionary tech. This phenomenon poses all kinds of problems for liberal democracy, and today we're discussing this with Gil Duran, a California-based writer, who has a new piece in the New Republic called The Tech Plutocrats Dreaming of a Right-Wing San Francisco. Duran uses what's happening there as a window into this new ideology. Welcome, Gil. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Your piece dives deep into what, quote, big tech edgelords, close quote, are up to. So at risk of making myself seem pretty uncool, I have to ask this. What exactly is an edgelord, and where does this notion fit on the ideological spectrum? Well, edgelords, I'm not an expert on the edgelord either, but edgelords uh, tend to describe people who are constantly pushing on the edge of dangerous political topics to provoke uh, debate, to provoke reaction. Basically, edgelords are trolls. Now, in this case, we had a local edgelord uh, who's been rising in prominence sort of go over the edge by appearing to make a very... A uh, scary death threat to local politicians. And who was that? Uh, his name is Gary Tan. And he's the current uh, CEO and president of Y Combinator. And over the past couple of years, he has been rising as a very loud voice in 
local politics, putting a lot of money behind things like the recall of Chesa Boudin and increasingly basically threatening to take over the entire uh, board of supervisors, which is San Francisco's equivalent of the city council in the 2024 election. And so leading up to that, he's gotten increasingly loud on his Twitter account, which is also funny because he has blocked most of San Francisco, including most journalists, uh, in most cases before these people even knew who he was. So you have both him trying to take over local politics while blocking everybody. But when you uh, appear to threaten uh, death uh, on the politicians who lead the city, it's kind of hard to keep your little um, Twitter wall from keeping that inside. So it broke out into the news and he finally got the attention he was looking for, but in a very, very negative way. Well, and, and your piece gets into kind of a movement of tech oligarchs in San Francisco, right? What exactly is this movement trying to accomplish and what does it see as being at stake here? Well, for a while we had this grumbling that tech was going to leave San Francisco. People were going to go to Miami. Elon Musk famously abandoned California for Texas, but they seem to have changed their mind and circled back. And now the focus seems to be on taking over San Francisco and, and making San Francisco their own sort of personal campus where they own the politicians and they decide the rules. And so they're very upfront about that. This is not something they're hiding. You know, in general, wealthy people have enjoyed power in San Francisco politics and in all politics for a long time, but it's basically considered bad form to talk about that in, in such an overt way. They're being very clear about what they're doing. And so now we're seeing this attempt to make San Francisco, to remake San Francisco as a town that's led by these tech oligarchs who have some pretty right-wing reactionary politics when you examine them closer. Yes. And that's what I want to talk to you about too. Your piece gets into this kind of broader national, national or even international uh, movement of reactionary tech oligarchs. Um, and one thing your piece illustrates effectively is how all these tech edgelord types are essentially part of a movement that's being spearheaded by Elon Musk. And so what Musk does on and with X is really blazing a path in a larger sense than we think, right? Yeah, Gary Tan is very much was very much imitating Elon Musk and learned the hard way that he's not Elon Musk. Uh, Gary Tan ends up apologizing for his a tirade in which he said he was just quoting Tupac Shakur lyrics. Uh, but Elon Musk is very obviously emulating Donald Trump. And so it's this effort to project this strongman persona that never has to apologize, that is right even when he's wrong. And so we're seeing this sort of toxification of the political discourse based on these wealthy men, largely white, not all white, who believe that they can say and do whatever they want and that they should be in charge and they should rule. It's nothing less than a, an ideology of tech supremacy. And it's not very new. The idea that people who have wealth should be the rulers because they're smarter than everybody else is a very, very old idea. But they seem to think, as with a lot of things, that they're reinventing this. Yeah, the ideology is the key here. Let's talk about that. Um, as you write, Musk and his imitators in the reactionary tech set are operating from an ideology that could be called techno-authoritarianism in the phrase of the Atlantic's Adrien LaFrance. What, what is this ideology? What does it hold in broad strokes? Oh, just that, I think, that, that they should reign supreme because they have money, because they consider themselves smarter than other people, and because they think that uh, they are the deciders of the future. You know, at the heart of this is the idea that uh, of something called long-termism. 
the idea that the work that these people do it will decide the fate of billions and billions and billions of human beings to come. We'll become a multiplanetary species because of them. We'll live forever in some AI universe because of them. And so anything they do is right. And no one has a right to challenge that. No one has a right to get in their way. And we should all just kind of bow down and allow them to do whatever they want as they, you know, and starting with San Francisco and on to Mars and wherever, which I, I don't think that fantasy will ever come true. But it's a, you know, they seem very hyped up on ego. Uh, they appear to have never heard of hubris. And uh, some of them uh, are very obviously and publicly doing a hell of a lot of drugs. And that's not a good combination. Yeah. And, and there's a real ideology here as well that I want to talk to you about. In recent days, and it, and it has a lot to do with what you, what you brought up there, this idea that they are the ones to secure the future. The question is, what future do they want to secure? And so in recent days on X, Musk has actively amplified right-wing and Republican propaganda about immigration, as you get into in your piece. Uh, Musk described migration as, quote, illegal voter importation, close quote, recently, and said Democrats want to legalize illegals to create a permanent majority. He's elevated far-right influencers saying similar things. Now, I want to rant about this a bit um, because I think it's kind of funny. Um, First, there's no telling when these migrants would get citizenship, if ever. Second, the red-pilled right holds that liberalism is driving non-white working class people toward right-wing populism and away from the left. So it's unclear why he assumes migrants turned citizens would vote for Democrats. Perhaps he lacks confidence in right-wing ideology's appeal? Well... I think uh, to some degree, it's a very short-term strategy he's using to try to make sure a Republican gets elected as president, right? He's lifting up a Republican message. You got to remember, Elon Musk is also someone who claims he's doing everything he does because he's worried about the population, that we all need to be uh, increasing the population. And he's, you know, inseminating various people. It is a personalized effort to do this. But immigrants solve the population problem. So why are you screeching about immigrants? There's no reason there besides racism. And that goes to the heart of the Republican strategy. We got to close the border. You know, keeping stoking fear is a common theme that you see in these politics. And fear does tend to make people think more conservatively. If they they feel afraid, then being tough, being cruel, erecting a wall, buying a gun all seems to make a lot more sense. And if you look at what they're doing in San Francisco, I've, I've kind of identified here a little strategy, which is to exploit existing public anger and anxiety over crime to stoke division, to frame all problems as the direct responsibility of progressive politicians, to hammer the necessity of Republican-style policies that have already failed in most cases, almost without exception, and to put big money behind candidates who promise to enact these policies uh, while demonizing progressives and the poor and the homeless. And uh, so we see that on the same, the same kind of strategy with the, the immigration topic. It's a polarizing strategy, a way to kind of push people to one side or the other. Uh, in their... One of the saving graces, I'd say, of these tech folks is they don't seem to fully understand politics. They make a lot of mistakes. They were behind DeSantis, then Ramaswamy, then Dean Phillips, and they seem to pick a lot of bad horses. But over time, as they buy off the very corruptible Democratic consulting establishment, they may get better at it. Yeah, and it's interesting that that, that you point, point out that they're failing, right? Because, at least in some regard, because uh, Peter Thiel, who's also one of these uh, reactionary tech oligarchs, put a lot of money behind Blake Masters' Senate candidacy in Arizona, which failed. 
and a lot of money behind J.D. Vance's in Ohio, which succeeded because Ohio is redder. And, and um, Masters and Vance are very big anti-immigrant politicians. And, and it, I, don't, I don't think it's an accident that you have Musk openly endorsing a version of great replacement theory, which holds that elites, often Jews, are en- engineering the racial replacement of native-born Americans by encouraging mass migration and suppressing native birth rates with pro-choice policy, along with feminist and pro-LGBTQ ideologies. I mean, that's what Musk means by illegals creating a liberal permanent majority. And in that vein, he also constantly says, quote, woke mind virus, close quote, is a threat to what he calls civilization. So what is this civilization exactly that he sees being replaced? Um, again, it goes. He, he seems to be adopting a very uh, traditional hierarchical conservative view that things used to be great, and that when things were great, the the wealthy and the white and the male and the straight and the Western and the Christian had dominance and dominion over the earth. And he seems to see the rise of a more diverse society with a greater uh, level of equality as a real threat. And um, you know, and that this kind of explains why he's a conservative. People think Elon Musk went through some kind of change, but I read Walter Isaacson's book, and Bill Isaacson was largely criticized for not saying all the bad things people want to hear. If you read between the lines, you know, I think you see three main elements of why Elon Musk was always kind of conservative. He had a cruel, dominating father whom he both despises but often imitates, even using the same phrases to insult his partners and other people. He has a pronounced lack of empathy, of which he is very proud. He considers empathy a weakness. You know, who who says that kind of thing, that you can't empathize with your fellow human beings? And he has a strict hierarchical worldview amplified by a messiah complex. Musk truly believes he's the person who's going to save the world. And that means everyone else should sit down, shut up, and maybe have his baby if he decides. So, uh, you know, this is a very dangerous situation we see forming, and... and, uh, uh, you know, but at the same time, they don't seem to understand that you can go too far. I think Deal is actually maybe the smartest one of all. He's sitting this one out. I don't know if Elon Musk has ever heard of Pete Wilson, but when you go so hard at a group of people to create hatred and fear, there may be decades of repercussion after that. California became very democratic after Pete Wilson demonized Latinos and immigrants. And he seems to be very intent on picking this fight and demonizing uh, a group of people who are actually very susceptible to the Republican message, uh, as we've seen in polls. Latinos are very on the fence in some cases. And so, uh, again, he doesn't fully understand politics. And that is kind of one of the saving graces here. But it, it won't buy us too much time because at a certain point, they shut their mouths and hire people to do the work for them, and they probably get much better at it. Yeah, I mean, it's worth recalling in, in that regard that what cost Musk all those advertisers was his endorsement on X of, of white genocide theory, which it explicitly posits a vast conspiracy to eradicate the white race. And, and, and there's a through line here, right? Musk is elevating Tucker's pro-Putin propaganda, and Putin and Hungary's Viktor Orban are models in using strongman rule to hold off the very destruction of civilization by migration and the woke mind virus that Musk claims to, to feel, fear, right? I mean, th- this, is, this to me is the essence of this kind of tech, reactionary tech uh, worldview. It, it, there's almost like an axis of autocrats that's kind of grouped around this ideology. 
Yeah, we're definitely seeing everybody trend in the same direction along a certain through line toward authoritarian strongman politics. And uh, so it's clear why they fear others, why they fear people who might question uh, this this worldview. And yeah, it's part straight out of the strongman playbook uh, and the fascist playbook to demonize an entire group and create fear that they're going to take over. And I'd say too, with great replacement theory, I've been doing a lot of historical research lately. Back in the 90s and the 80s, it was called the Recon- Reconquista, the idea that Latinos are going to reconquer, Mexicans in particular, are going to reconquer uh, the Western United States that was taken, you know, by the United States uh, uh, in the 19th century. And so even that is not new. Everything is just kind of a retreaded, uh, a, you know, hyper tech um, version of very, very old things. You know, it's sort of like we just put it through a, a algorithmic ayahuasca lens and spit it back out as something new. But it's not it's not very new at all. These are very old racist ideas. I mean, Elon Musk was supposed to be taking us to Mars, but he's just become Father Coughlin, basically. Yeah, I was just going to say that a lot of this actually can be traced back to some of the rhetoric in, in the 20s, uh, the anti-immigrant rhetoric at, at that time. Um, and, and on that score, John Gans has written that Musk and the right-wing tech oligarch set are driven by what you might call reactionary modernism. This idea embraces the technological advancement of modernity, but hates the side of modernity that has fostered egalitarianism and liberal democracy. And and even sees tech as a kind of tool to roll back that side of modernity. Your piece kind of gets at this, right? The San Francisco oligarchs push a localized version of this ideology, kind of positing an idealized lost paradise that has been wrecked by egalitarian modernity, right? Yeah, that's one of the strangest things of all. And we've reached a point where, and I kind of hinted this at the piece, we almost have a sort of MAGA-esque thing going on, where facts no longer matter. Data no longer matters. Everyone believes everything is worse than it's ever been, and things used to be great before this insert group here ruined everything for us. And if we can only take it back from them, everything will return to being great. But while I was at the San Francisco Examiner as editorial page editor, I wrote piece after piece showing how all the previous crackdowns on the Tenderloin had failed. Going back 50, 60, even 70 years, you see police trying to crack down on something in the tenderloin. This was not new. This was not suddenly a paradise that turned rotten. And you had tough mayors like Dianne Feinstein, who's remembered as a great mayor. Uh, But you look at the crime of the 80s and the 70s and the 80s, and it was much, much higher. And the tenderloin was a massive problem. She couldn't bring it under control. Uh, Gavin Newsom couldn't bring it under control. Kamala Harris as DA couldn't bring it under control. But somehow it's all the fault of the progressive politicians who've been elected in the last a decade or so. And that, that is part of the main animating mythology here is that everything was great and everything will be great again if we just institute a bunch of Republican policies that have already failed in California and that continue to fail in Republican-led states, which have which tend to have the highest crime rates and overdose rates of the entire nation. So if those policies work, why aren't they working? Uh, but that's not a question they can answer because they haven't thought that far ahead. And it's not really clear they have much of a plan except to seize power and move from there. Right. And it's even more than Republican policies, right? It's this kind of set of reactionary, really souped up right wing policies that they're they're talking about. I mean, it's interesting that you talk about this kind of red pilled information space, right? Where where the red pilled reality is the one that reigns no matter what facts show. And I think that's the big story here, right? Musk has made Twitter 
into a flourishing information space for this set of ideologies. Is that right? Oh, definitely. I mean, that seems to have been the main purpose of it, was to orient the political conversation toward these reactionary racist ideas, right? The first thing he does is strip the blue check from people who were verified because they were reporters, because they were journalists, because they were actually known as as people who work in the information space and who have valid methodologies and track records of accuracy. And now you've got people with 30 followers with the blue check getting uh, primacy on, a, on, a, on this website. You know, they can just pop up and be the first comment. And so a lot of it was about flipping upside down how things work. Truth becomes lie. Troll becomes journalist. Um, and, you know, uh, things that failed becomes the things that will succeed. And so a lot of it is about what Naomi Klein calls mirror world, creating this mirror world or what Gary Tan calls parallel, right? They talk a lot about building a parallel media, building a parallel politics, building a parallel education. And what that means is that building is that they want to remake existing institutions uh, in their own image as things that reflect this regressive ideology with no uh, care toward history or, or whether these things have worked in the past. And so what we're seeing is an effort to build a parallel or mirror San Francisco that instead of being this kind of, you know, progressive liberal place is a very conservative tech colony uh, that'll apparently be everyone's home base on the way to the frozen dead wastes of Mars. Yeah, you know, to, to me, that was maybe the most alarming thing about your piece in the end, right? I mean, this idea of, of this real push to create mirror world. You report that other reactionary tech barons, I guess the Musk mini-me's, as it were, see what Musk has done to Twitter as a model. I mean, so what's the long-term prognosis here? Can we look forward to a far more expansive and much larger and more virulent reactionary information space in coming years, what might that look like? I think that's their hope. But we do see people streaming on the Blue Stream, Mastodon, Threads. People are trying to escape, but no platform has yet achieved what Twitter had. But at the same time, Twitter's kind of becoming more and more toxified all of the time. And I think it's just hard for people to trade their existing audiences for the unknown of going over to Blue Sky and having 20 followers um, but I do think that uh, that the Fediverse could change things if we have this, these platforms that interact where you don't have to be on Musk's platform. But uh, I think a very big key will be not being on centralized platforms owned by oligarchs. And that's true whether it's social media or newspapers or what have you. Um, decentralization, I think, is key to making sure they don't control what we see and what we say. Uh, I was one of the people, by the way, early on banned by Elon Musk from Twitter. Uh, for asking a question, nothing, nothing even that violated any terms of service. So, so much for sp free speech, as we all know. But I think that that's their goal is to control the information space and to continue to toxify every conversation and orient, make people angry, make people fearful, and make people think that there's a very simple way to solve these problems, and that is to give the tech edge lords uh, with their very racist ideology all of the power. And then they will do what is necessary. Just like Trump said, I am the only one who can solve it. That's kind of very much the message coming from Musk. And one thing I would say is now we're seeing this narrative migrate over to Oakland. You got all these right wingers like Ian Miles Chong uh, tweeting about crime in Oakland now. And now Oakland is worse than it's ever been. And I actually saw someone on Twitter 
last week, say Oakland used to be such a great town. And now look what they've done to it because there's a new progressive mayor who's been in office about, I don't know, five minutes right. trying to recall her. And, you know, I was the press secretary for the mayor of Oakland, Jerry Brown, 20 years ago. You're telling me that crime is new, but that's very much the spirit of things that are happening here now. And uh, so I think the thing to do is watch what happens in San Francisco this November and see what takes shape in Oakland and Alameda County with these recalls. Because the idea that's very audacious is can you take a very liberal, progressive area and can you red pill it to the degree that you can start to fracture uh, the power structures? And I think there's a, a uh, not insignificant chance they may be able to do some of that. So we'll yeah. see. And so in, in a nutshell, what is the expansive reactionary information space that they hope to build? What does it look like? What is it? Um, I think it's a place where the very worst and most racist uh, voices are elevated, where everyone else is crushed and stamped out. I think what uh, they're really reacting against with things like DEI is the idea that these ideas have even become corporate, right? That even diversity, equity, inclusion, um, empathy, and care have become values that are even embraced by corporate America. And they want the opposite of that. They want an authoritarian uh, power structure in which they are the law and the rules. And I think that is, uh, you know, it's not a new idea. As I say in the piece, it's a very old idea. And uh, the problem we face is they have billions and billions of dollars and they're increasingly gaining control of technology and information channels and uh, trying through repetition to change our brains and reframe everything as a, as a reactionary ideology. And so I think that's the, the main issue. You know, they have a theory, they're bad at politics, but they have enough power and money to be dangerous. Yeah. And, and we're seeing that play out in real time right now. Gil Duran, thanks so much for coming on with us. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to The Daily Blast with me, your host, Greg Sargent. The Daily Blast is a New Republic podcast and is produced by Riley Fessler on the DSR Network. 